this episode, I talk with horror director Charlie Steeds. You may know him from some of his films like Death Ranch, An English Haunting, Winter Skin, Vampire Virus, or The Barge People. But um, he's known for a shit ton of other movies as well. But um, he's got a new one coming out at the end of this month called Werewolf Castle, which looks really killer. And I can't wait to check that out. But um, hope you enjoy this talk. Uh, he's a really cool dude and um, had a really killer time talking with him. So check it out and thanks for listening. All right. Thanks uh, for being on my podcast, Charlie. No worries. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, we've been friends for a while online, so it's good to finally actually talk. So, Absolutely, yeah. Um, how's everything going um, your way? Yeah, it's very good. Busy uh, editing at the moment, which is kind of my least favorite part of the whole process. And I've got like a backlog of about three movies that I have to edit. So I'm just sort of in post-production hell, but it's nice to be home and you know just able to sit and watch movies in the evenings and relax so yeah <laughs> yeah you're busy as hell man like um i keep up with you on instagram and twitter and stuff and you're always either filming or you're like i said you're editing and <laughs> like you're yeah, constantly yeah. busy oh yeah i mean this year has been ridiculously busy i mean uh since the uh since coronavirus and lockdown i mean there was a there was a brief period um where things seem to be a little bit quiet. And I mean, I was lucky because uh, at the start of the lockdown here, um, I went into the lockdown with two films to edit. So that was really like a great position to be in because you're locked down, but I didn't I, I didn't have to stop working. You know, I could just carry on. Um, mm-hmm. So I got those two movies edited. And then as soon as I've come out of the lockdown, it seems to be the most, uh, you know, the, just the busiest time. Like, you know, people offering me, um, this project and that project and you know usually I, I do two movies a year and I've always sort of said I'd like to slow down and do one movie per year uh, and just spend more time on it but this year I've already shot three movies um, and then there could be another one in the pipeline I'm not sure wow that's crazy <laughs> that's a lot of movies in one year I mean I bet yeah. your workload is huge like you said you're probably just constantly doing something either editing or you know doing something with the film or this or that so yeah which has been nice I mean I, I can't complain I mean part of the reason I took on three for this year is because you know lockdown was so boring and I mean last year I only was able to shoot one movie and that was right at the start of the year as well and it was a really nightmare production and then you know I spent um you know 10 months or so uh unable to shoot anything um so it's been uh, and this I mean this year so far I've spent about five months away from home um so it's just been like traveling and seeing people and on top of that everyone else was locked down at this time you know we were exempt from lockdown rules um so that was nice to be able to like go out and actually make stuff yeah that's good yeah i bet because yeah the whole lockdown stuff was crazy like for us like uh was it last year was kind of like our big lockdown thing and then you know they released the lockdown for us this year and you know things have been kind of sort of back to normal but you know there's some other variant of the virus is going around now so things are getting kind of weird again around here so yeah yeah so i'm hoping for the best you know i want to get things back to normal again but i don't think they're going to be normal anytime soon you know is this gonna be something we're gonna have to deal with for a while yeah yeah no exactly um what films are you working on right now the three films you got going on uh, so the first of the three is a film. The title is Werewolf Castle. 
Um, and basically, uh, I made a film last year called A Werewolf in England uh, yeah. for a company. And when it came out, um, it did really well in sort of supermarkets and stuff. So the company sort of instantly got in touch with me and said they wanted another one, another werewolf film. Mm. Um, but it was really sprung upon me at the last moment. <laughs> it was like uh, I wasn't expecting them to ask. I didn't know this film was coming. So from the moment they said, right, we want a werewolf film, and we just essentially the brief was just there needs to be werewolves in a castle um, at some point. So I said, you know, what about if we did medieval and we did something with knights? You know, I've been wanting to do a, a medieval film, like a fantasy with knights and stuff like that and swords and things um, for a while. Uh, so this was sort of my opportunity. So I jumped in and said, you know, yeah, I'll do it if I can have knights and stuff. Um, but, you know, like a month later, the script was basically done. And then a month later, we were in a castle in Wales filming this. So um, wow. that that was like a quick turnaround. But it, it's um, it's a different sort of a film for me because it's a, it is a above uh, being a horror. I suppose it is just a fantasy movie. Um, it is a group of knights on a quest to the king in a castle. Um, it doesn't feel so much like a horror, but it does have... Uh, a whole bunch of werewolves in it um you know my in my previous film in my previous werewolf film we had like three werewolves um you only ever really saw two on screen at a time but in this one uh we've got like six on screen at a time because there's like it's supposed to be like a whole sort of army of werewolves um so that's one of the projects and that's what i've basically almost finished post-production on um and that will be out later this year in uh, the uk at least um, and then the other project um, for the same company is uh, it doesn't really have a title yet. The working title is uh, The Haunting of Bloody Tower. Um, and it's uh, again, it's medieval. Um, it's set in the Tower of London and it's based on a true story of um, these uh, two princes that were allegedly murdered um, in the Tower of London um, by uh, uh, someone wanting to be the king. Um, and so in my story, it's basically these two princes are haunting the sort of dungeons of the Tower of London. Um, and it's a bit sort of like The Shining inspired um, uh, in that like a, a guy with sort of uh, psychic powers, he can see the dead and sort of see visions of the dead and speak to them and stuff. He uh, ends up locked up in the dungeon of the tower um, and the sort of nice people in the Tower of London, who's uh, uh, basically a priest um, and like the Queen's helper, they they uh, use this guy's power to try and uh, put the corrupt people in the tower, um, you know, get, get rid of them, basically. Um, mm -hmm. So that's one of them. Uh, that one... Uh, that one's a little bit more sort of like that. I mean, that's a pure horror movie. Um, and I've really sort of, it's been fun because I've just sort of thrown everything into that movie. <laughs> there's, there's uh, corpses of the children and there's the ghosts of the children, but then there's also the ghosts of just other people. So we had this like whole horde of different ghosts and we've got the castle, we've got the dungeon, there's a torture chamber. Um, you know, I, we filmed it in a, January and February, which was freezing cold. And um, some of these actors, I've got them like, you know, strapped up naked in the torture chamber. I've got two guys hung naked from the ankles upside down, being sort of flogged and tortured. Um, so there's sort of all sorts of like medieval torture and goodness in there. Um, 
so that's one of them as well and then the one that is actually it's the only one that is based on my own uh personal concept um is uh basically a, a different company they got in touch they wanted a science fiction movie um so i kind of had to rummage through uh all my ideas i mean i i always keep like a sort of folder of various different film ideas because i come up with so many um mm. there's one from a few years ago which is essentially um it's like a very Lovecraft inspired idea. Um, and it's about a group of scientists. Uh, they're basically studying uh, the ocean in Antarctica. And on the seabed, they find a sort of ancient portal uh, that leads to the deepest point of the ocean that man has ever got. It's a sort of a, a deeper point than anyone thought possible. So they build a deep sea submersible um, and send a group of scientists on it down to this bottom of the sea, down into the portal, where they find um, basically a sort of graveyard of Cthulhu creatures. Um, you know, just their corpses are there on the on the ocean floor uh, among sort of the ruins of a sort of ancient city. Um, they go, uh, they go and sort of take a flesh sample from uh, one of the Cthulhu creatures, and uh, obviously it awakens and it's not actually quite dead. And then uh, once the sample's on board the deep sea submersible, um, you know, it's infecting people and getting into their heads. They're starting to see sort of cosmic visions. There's slime. There's lots of sort of tentacles erupting from people and blood and um, and a bit of a sort of like aliens influence, you know, as it gets towards the end that people have got machine guns. Um, but we built, I mean, this is, it was really time consuming. We, we built the deep sea submersible as a set. Um, it kind of looks like some sort of cross between a spaceship and, uh, a submarine, but in a very sort of like, uh, I guess like B movie eighties style, um, but um, it was really great to, you know, have just be running around this huge location, uh, you know, this huge set build. Uh, there was like a paddling pool built into the floor because we needed these like pressure doors to open so that people could go out into the ocean. Um, and we set the whole thing on fire. We flooded it. We had water spraying from the ceiling, uh, blood everywhere. So it was really fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that sounds killer. And I'm I'm pretty sure most of these are going to be practical effects because I notice a lot of your films are a lot of cool practical stuff. Yeah, in fact, so with this film, we, we have yet to shoot the practical, uh, all the sort of practical effects side of things, um, aside from obviously like what we did uh, for the interior of the ship. I mean, the, the exterior of this submersible is going to be a whole new challenge for me um because i mean as you can imagine from uh the plot outline that i just gave you it's like you know <laughs> submersible at the bottom of the sea and this portal and the cthulhu creatures so we've built all of these uh separate elements practically um you know i have miniatures being created of the submersible um i have my gigantic cthulhu suit um that has been made i think that's in the mail on the way to me now um but um, I mean, as far as I know, I mean, I, basically, I went for, uh, I just, I went for classic Cthulhu. Like, I, I really want to put traditional, like that, that classic-looking Cthulhu, you know, green with the big wings, with the tentacled face, on screen. Because um, in a in a feature horror film, I don't think we've seen it before. Um, 
like I, I might be wrong, but I don't, I can't think of any film where we've seen, uh, you know, that traditional winged Cthulhu. Um, right. So to have him, I mean, we'll be shooting all this against a green screen. So uh, yeah, it's basically going to be a, a man in a suit um doing all and and i'll be doing all the sort of photography uh against the green screen and then there will be a sort of uh digital um ocean uh put in around it but um it should be interesting we'll see how it turns out how big's the suit you think i know you're, um, you're getting a ship to you but you know how big the suit's actually going to be or yeah yeah i mean so uh it, it, it's the size that you know you you put a person in it and it's already pretty big on top of that person because you know um this suit goes on top of a person so it's got great big sort of um on the uh, the arms have got great big claws it's got great big sort of fins coming out of the arms and then on top of that you've got these gigantic wings that um sort of uh through metal rods sort of insert into the back of the suit so it's pretty it should be like pretty big do you use like a certain company for all your like suits and stuff for your creatures yeah so this suit is this suit's uh like a mixture it's um but basically, I mean, mostly uh, what I've been using the last couple of years is a company in Arizona called uh, Midnight Studios Effects. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously, when I when I got asked to do my werewolf movie, uh, I thought, you know, I, 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 first of all, I wouldn't even bother doing it if I didn't think I could get like a semi decent looking werewolf. Um, but obviously, you know, I'm doing this stuff on a budget, and uh, I found I came across Midnight Studios effects, and I will say their werewolves are just fantastic. Like the the suits are just incredible to look at. Um, trying to sort of then bring them to life on screen is kind of a whole different challenge in itself because you know they don't have animatronic faces and things like that. But this is where I say you know the budget con- uh, the budget constraints all comes in. Um, so in Werewolf in England, I mean, Werewolf in England is is a very silly comedy movie. Like it's not supposed to be taken too seriously. It's very uh, camp and B movie. So I didn't I didn't really mind that the werewolves' faces didn't move. Um, mm-hmm. I wasn't trying to make them look realistic necessarily. So that that never bothered me. You know, we made no effort to make the faces look like they were had mouths opening or eyes moving. Um, but um, for Werewolf Castle, uh, we had a different werewolf design done with the heads where the mouths actually are movable. Um, mm-hmm. So the mouths do move a little bit more. Um, and uh, so that basically they're the guys who I've been going to for my creature suits and they're the ones who have done this Cthulhu. Yeah. Oh, that's killer. They did uh, Barge People as well. No, no. Barge People was um, I mean, the Barge People essentially was just a bunch of silicone masks mm-hmm. um, by a sort of a, sort of the big silicone mask company. Um, but um I, I see those masks popping up more and more in all these other like indie films. And I mean, it's always bugged me that um, I knew at the time, in fact, when I when I started, when I used these masks, you know, uh, it always bugs me when I don't uh, get something custom made. Um, right. So and uh, Midnight Studios effects are really accommodating in that um, when I ask for things to be customized in certain ways, uh, they will actually uh, they'll do that for me. Um, and in fact, there was a project. I mean, there is a project that will at some point go ahead. It was almost going to happen this year, but um, now I guess it will happen next year. But um, Midnight Studios were going to be doing like a sort of custom, uh, a whole custom creature design for me, which I've never been able to 
be in a position with budget to actually just give someone a sketch and say, that's my creature. You know, uh, can you custom make this whole thing for me? You know, mm-hmm. straight from my imagination. I've always had to sort of uh, find online something that's pre-existing that I can sort of afford to put into the movie. So, yeah. Well, that's killer. Yeah. That was one of the big things for me. I liked about uh, werewolf in England was the werewolves themselves. Like I didn't even notice that their mouth didn't move and stuff. I guess the way it was shot and stuff, you know, how he used them yeah. kind of sparsely for a little while. And, you know, then they popped in towards in, you know, used them more there. But I really dug the design and stuff. I thought it looked pretty cool. Oh, yeah. I mean, like I say, when I when I searched the Internet, um, because the thing is with with werewolf films, especially independently made werewolf films like modern ones, um, you know, I think I mean, I'm practically speaking in terms of practical effects you know we had great werewolves in the howling great werewolves in american werewolf in london um and that's kind of it you know i mean i'm not a, i'm not a, a huge sort of werewolf movie fan um well in fact no i miss out um bad moon uh, that's my oh. favorite that's my favorite werewolf that's ever been put on film. So I think that's the peak of werewolves, but you know, this is like the eighties. Um, mm. and then in terms of like indie film, I mean, I've watched a lot of, um, indie werewolf films and the main problem is always, you know, it always comes down to the werewolf. Werewolves are so difficult, you know, it's such a hard thing to achieve, especially on a budget. Um, and I don't think they look good if it's CGI, you know, like I think CGI totally ruins it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, especially with people, you know, from, from if you know, if you're a fan of the howling and American werewolf, you know, uh, people have an expectation to see a werewolf as a practical creation. But, you know, perhaps that was the peak of practical werewolves way back then. And, you know, that is uh sort of like a top film a top horror filmmakers you know making them so it's so challenging you know uh, as a modern day indie filmmaker but when i found the uh, midnight studios effects werewolves i thought they were definitely by far the best i've ever seen outside of let's say like the howling and bad moon you know um mm. so i was thrilled i mean on set uh, seeing the werewolves sort of stomping around and having them there practically and being able to sort of like fight them and stuff. Uh, it was thrilling to be able to shoot it. Um, so yeah, I, I really had a great time with that and, and with those werewolves. But like I say, when it came down to um, sort of unleashing the film onto horror fans, um, you know, well, I mean, there's always criticism, but you know, there was a, there was a bit of criticism of, you know, well, the heads don't move and these are disappointing you know he's like well what do you want this is an indie film you know yeah people can be assholes sometimes man like they don't see it for what it is you know like i i enjoyed the shit out of it when you sent me the screener for it because i was i saw some production pictures you had for us oh cool new werewolf movie you know i I gotta get on that and you know after i watching stuff it being that it was a horror comedy too it all fit in really well together you know thank you um speaking on werewolves i think the last like like one of the best practical effects werewolf movies was a uh, dog soldiers. I think that came out with like uh, late nineties, early two thousands. I believe that was like the last great werewolf design in my opinion. Yeah. In fact, yeah, I agree with you on that. I'd forgotten that one, but that the dog soldiers werewolves are still really damn good and creepy. Yeah. The whole like super height, like they're so tall and like lanky looking man. And they got like the, the perfect like wolf face and shit. Uh, yeah. It, it got me when I first saw it when I was younger. I was like, man, that's pretty creepy. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, in fact, I mean, so I've done these two werewolf movies now, um, you know, and they kind of have both been, they were both sort of thrust upon me. It was never my idea to do uh, werewolves. But now that I've done two, you know, I'm kind of, I'm thinking more and more about, you know, a third where I can actually you know engage my own brain and try and think right how how would I like to do werewolves because I'd love to do like a you know a proper scary werewolf movie where um you know I properly take a moment and think about you know the effects and you know how are we really going to make these werewolves look realistic and uh you know how are we going to do one up from what already exists um but, you know it's difficult when a, when a company comes to you and uh, what they want is uh, werewolves and you just sometimes the demands of the of the investors you just kind of think like shit how am i gonna how how is this gonna look on a budget but then uh, you just sort of go ahead and try your best and see what comes out you know mm-hmm. and uh right now i think we're on a kind of a on the cusp of a new like werewolf revolution i guess like there's a bunch of werewolf films planned that's supposed to be coming out you know in the next 10 years and stuff i've seen a few starting to come out now like I uh, haven't seen yeah i mean i think so because i keep uh i mean even just in the sort of independent film circuit you know and the, the types of budgets i work with i keep hearing the demand for werewolf movies um you know the the guy who played the werewolf in my werewolf films he's playing a uh, character in a whole other werewolf film at the moment you know that's shooting literally right now um mm-hmm. so there's all this werewolf stuff being shot you know so um yeah it's interesting yeah i'm super happy about it i'm tired of zombies and i'm, <laughs> I'm kind of tired on the vampire stuff but not as much as i am on zombies like zombies is so overdone you know they've been done every single way i can see conceivable i'm just i'm good i want something different i love werewolf movies from the 80s and like a few in the 90s like bad moon and um what dog soldiers what i think came out 2000 could have been 99 one of those years but yeah i'm, I'm ready for a new like you know werewolf revolution <laughs> yeah yeah no so um what got you started in film how how what's your origin story on all this uh well essentially i've always uh i mean basically i've always loved telling sort of scary stories since i was really young you know since i was like six years old um the older kids at school and stuff like that would all be telling scary stories and it was sort of this forbidden thing you know I wasn't allowed to hear them I wasn't allowed to listen but um we used to like uh, put a cloth over the table and all go and sit under the table in the dark and like listen to scary stories uh it was always the much older kids that were doing it but I used to go and listen as well and I just became obsessed with um I mean, I used to be terrified of all things horror. Uh, it used to just absolutely scare me to death. Um, but looking back, I just had some sort of an obsession with dark and scary things. Like it just was there from when I was like six years old. Um, and then like, you know, goosebumps on the TV um, and uh, just all these types of things. And then um, when I got to about age, I don't know, 11, 10 or 11 I started to get really interested in films uh, and specifically like Tim Burton movies. Um, and I loved with Tim Burton, what I loved was you could see such a um, extreme style, you know, in the production design and the costume and everything like that and the music. And between films, you could see that it was the same person. It was like the same style going between mm-hmm. films. And that kind of taught me what a director is bringing to a project. Um, 
And uh, then I sort of became really interested in Stephen King. Um, and that was because I just kept seeing this name everywhere, you know, mm. on DVDs, on books, Stephen King, you know, obviously. And I, 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 this was back when, you know, I had no idea who Stephen King was. I was just a guy, uh, just a kid browsing, you know, DVD shops and bookshops and always attracted to horror. So I kept seeing this one name. Um, and I thought, I need to find out who this guy is. And really, my gateway into horror, because like I said, I was too, I was definitely too scared to ever touch a single horror movie. Like I would not watch horror. Um, my mum would sometimes like flick over on the channel to a horror film and it would like make me cry. And I'm talking, this is when I'm like 11 years old, you know, mm-hmm. and I should really be crying over like some probably like 12 rated horror movie. Um, but I was just like so scared of everything. Um, and then um, I, the first Stephen King thing I bought was um, the miniseries Rose Red, mm-hmm. uh, which I still love now. Um, and because uh, it was only rated a 12, I thought maybe I can, you know, maybe I can put up with this. Um, and I just loved it. And I still, you know, still my my passion for horror and what I, you know, hope to achieve in my career making horror. Um, it all comes back to Stephen King miniseries, because as a kid, there was just nothing better to me than uh you know, on a on a weekend to just grab a Stephen King uh, miniseries and put it in. And then, you know, some of these things are like four hours, five hours long. Um, mm-hmm. and you're just absorbed into uh, this whole world of horror. Um, I mean, what could be better for someone who like adores horror? Um, what could be more, you know, incredible than to just sit down and uh, spend like you know a Sunday afternoon you know watching Storm of the Century or something like that or the Shining miniseries so that was really what got me hooked on horror Um, and basically my um, my sort of education in horror sort of grew out from there you know I would watch uh, Creepshow and then I'd see oh it was directed by George Romero okay I'm gonna go and track down all his other movies and then I'd watch all of his movies um, and it just kind of was like that you know just working through Stephen King adaptations um, and that remains sort of uh, the, the sort of the, the type of horror that I love the most um, I just think Stephen King adapt, like Stephen King film and TV adaptations, is just what nails for me the essence of what I love about the genre. But I mean, I mean now, um, you know, I, I love so much more than that. Obviously, I mean, I'm a I'm a huge horror fan, um, and I I mean every day I'm still literally every day I'm buying and watching horror movies and horror books and stuff. Big um, Italian horror fan, like in terms of. Who influences my actual filmmaking? Um, Lucio Fulci and Mario Bava um, are huge influences. Uh, obviously, John Carpenter, um, Rob Zombie, um, all these types of people. But, um, you know, so basically from that young age, from being obsessed with Stephen King, um, really just the films and the TV, not the books, because um, I did used to read a lot, but um, I've not really read any Stephen King, to be honest. Right. Um, but um, from there, I just literally from age 10, 11, I just knew I want to direct movies. Um, and I'm kind of lucky that in my head, that was just it. I was just straight away. I was just obsessed with this idea. I'm going to I'm going to just direct films. And that's what I want to do. Um, so when I finished school, I went to film school 
um, in London and uh, from there graduated and just sort of started making um, I mean I was always all my teenage years I was making short films some of these short films would be you know usually about 25 minutes long to half an hour long but sometimes they were like 50 minutes long you know 45 minutes long and I made 20 of these um, over the course of a bunch of years in when I was a teenager um, and then uh, eventually I just thought well I'll, I'll make a feature length movie um, just the same way I've done these short films you know with barely any budget so I made this uh, feature length movie I mean the total budget of it was under two grand so really we're talking like a no budget film Mm -hmm. Uh, and then um got a call out of the blue from a sales company um in california uh and uh i was i think 20 or 21 at the time um uh 21 probably and uh they just called me out of the blue and said they wanted the rights to the movie and they were going to put it on dvd um and so then I, i went ahead and agreed and then it you know, came out on DVD and Blu-ray and it's popping up in all these different countries. I mean, um, I was proud of the film at the time. Nowadays, I don't even mention the film because it was really just like, (laughs) I like to treat it as just a stepping stone that got me into this, uh, being able to do this as a full-time career. But Mm -hmm. I mean, before long, I mean, there was a, there was a year or so of, um, you know, having to work a regular day job, but, um, I just, have always had this uh, sort of addiction to making movies on the back burner. And even when I was working full time for that sort of brief period, um, I would come home and I'd just be editing and writing and carrying on um, my usual business. Um, And uh, before long, um, I was being offered budgets and now I'm able to do it full time. So, um, you know, uh, obviously still, uh, still there's a lot that I hope to achieve and there's a, a long way that I hope to go you know uh, my films they're extremely low budget still um, it's like they're extremely low budget but they're able to make me a full-time living um, uh, so uh, and to be honest I just sort of I try and just enjoy um, I just try and enjoy each project I put my heart and soul into each project that I'm doing um, mm-hmm. And uh, people, I mean, you can look at my, what I've made so far, and um, it looks like I'm making a lot very fast, which I suppose I am, but none of it is, none of it to me feels rushed or anything. Like, uh, I tend to spend about 10 months on each movie, um, and probably six of those months will be just dedicated to the movie. And I work on it, you know, pretty much seven days a week. writing is my biggest passion in all of it um and then um you know the shoots are usually about 20 22 days something like that um and um yeah i just try and i just try and make the film as best they can possibly be with uh, always the constant frustration of budget limitations you know um and uh that's sort of uh, just how i've been going for the last sort of four years or so well, that's great. You get to make a living of what you know, make a living of what you love. You know, I think that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I feel I feel completely lucky to be able to do it. I mean, when I was at film school, well, I mean, I mean, it, it's just it's crazy because when I was at film school, I didn't even think it was possible to. First of all, I didn't think it was possible to make films of the budget level I make films at. You know, and people 
teach I think they probably still teach that it's not possible to make films the way I make films you know which is you don't need a crew of 50 people and you don't need all this money um Mm. you know I was kind of of the mindset that you know if I was going to wait around for uh all the right things to be in place you know a huge chunk of money and everything if I was going to wait around I never I still would be sat here having never made a single film you know but I just thought I, let's just do it you know like you can no one has any excuse these days because you can buy really cool cameras for like under a grand you know you can get a great camera um you can just anyone anyone can just go out and shoot anything these days um my whole kit that I currently shoot with you know is pretty inexpensive I'm gonna say like probably probably around five grand or something um mm-hmm. it's probably the cost of my whole kit um, which is like built up over the years. Um, but, you know, basically, if you can just get a few bits and pieces together, I mean, uh, anyone can go out and make something these days. So there's kind of no excuse. And I was in that mindset, like, let's not wait for some company to come along and think, oh, I'm some sort of genius of horror films. Like, let's hire him. Um, I just thought, you know, that's never going to happen. So let's just go out and just do it myself. And I've had to just basically work from the ground up from, you know, no budget to a little bit of budget to now what I've got, which is like still a little budget, but it pays my living, you know. Um, So, uh, yeah, that's basically just uh, that's how I've had to sort of come into the industry, you know. What's the uh, average size of your crew that you work with? Um, well, nowadays it tends to be, I mean, I've, I'm always really interested in keeping it as small as possible. And I used to tell everyone, you know, that it was really just two of us making the films. And in the case of a film like um, the film that I probably consider like my most professional and slick looking film in terms of its cinematography and uh, location and production values is um, An English Haunting. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a haunted house movie I made, which I'm really proud of that movie. Um, that movie was made with just two people. Uh, that's my cinematographer uh, doing the lights and the camera and me directing and doing the sound. Mm-hmm. And for the first uh, five or six features, I did the sound as well as directing because that's basically how I was doing things was was with a tiny little crew. And this is really just like a, a money saving technique, you know. Um, but in the beginning, it was it was really because um, this is all that I could afford. And uh, as I went on, it was kind of like, OK, we have the money to hire in a couple of extra hands. You know, if you want a gaffer and let's get a sound man so that I don't have to direct and do the sound at the same time. Mm. Um, but um, I just kind of started to get used to that way of filmmaking and and also enjoy it because I enjoy um, I enjoy the feeling of like when you're working with actors, I enjoy the feeling of there not being a crew. You know, it makes it really uh, much more sort of personal to just be able to you know my 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 cinematographer would kind of be very quiet and sort of he'd do his job and he'd kind of be invisible um and then I'd be able to just step in and work with my actors and it kind of just felt like um 
I guess like rehearsing for stage or something like that you know you're not you're not really needing to consider the fact that you're on a film set but I just saw like how relaxed everybody was how friendly the sets got um and it's just a very very chilled out way of filmmaking um where in a in a you know a filmmaking environment should you know I imagine it should be a bit more sort of high pressure and you know more people around but um it's just very chill the way I do movies. But now, uh, now it's a bit different. You know, if I need makeup, then, you know, then there's the makeup person. And then, you know, someone wants to come and just help out and learn a bit about lighting. So then someone comes in and does a bit of extra lighting. And then, uh, I've got someone now who just does sort of, uh, just sort of uh, not an assistant necessarily, but just sort of is my right hand man who just helps me out with everything. Um, and then on top of that, I'll have someone in for like some catering. Um, and then I'll have, I now have a sound man. Um, so the crew's got a bit bigger, but it still essentially comes down to like, you know, maybe three people, you know, at, at the core, like I would, I would feel very comfortable going into a shoot day as long as I've got, you know, three of us uh, which is just like you know like I said uh, at film school they didn't teach me that this that films could be done this way um, but, you know I, I can confidently say to anyone like if you don't believe me that uh, that three people is enough or even two people is enough go and have a look at my film English Haunting because I'm really uh I know I had everything I needed to get that movie made. Um, and it's looking at a film like that is what makes me think, well, why do I need all this crew? You know? Right. Um, and I do have the experience of working with more people because um, I have been on sets where there's been like a crew of 30 and stuff like that. I've directed, um, I directed a feature with a crew of like 30 um, it, back early on. Um, and I just prefer it to be, you know, less people. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I never, I never tend to really speak about that because it kind of, you know, it, it puts a downer on the films. If you say to someone, watch my movie, you know, it's really good and was made with two people in the crew, you know, people, right. they're not going to bother with your piece of shit movie because how good can it really be? Um, so I tend never to really mention that. Um, but um but no that's how i've been doing it yeah that's killer so i like the diy aspect of it you know you know pretty much doing it all yourself or with a small group of trusted people i think that's the way to go yeah and, and it really is just like uh, my filmmaking crew and the actors we're just like a little family really um we're we're just friends having a great little time you know, um, obviously there's a certain level of professionalism about it all because at the end of the day, we do have to deliver the films to the people who are paying for them. But um, it just feels, it, it feels no different actually than when I was a teenager and I'd get my school friends together on the weekend and just have a fun time. It, it just feels like that, but you know, somebody else is just paying for us to have all that fun, you know? <laughs> right. No, that, that's killer, man. I, I think that's really, really cool. I wish, uh, you know, having a, a strong like foundation of friends like that and people you can work with, that makes all the difference. Yeah. Well, what would you say out of all the films you've done, what's your absolute favorite? Do you have one? 
Yeah, well, I have I have three favourites, and that is Death Ranch um, that's been released this year, which is a sort of like um, my sort of tribute to like Grindhouse movies, and I shot that film over in Tennessee, um, and I just had the best shoot. Like uh, nobody on the shoot, I had not met anybody on the shoot until I actually got to Tennessee, um, and then there was like. Um, I can't remember how long now, but there was maybe like two weeks of prep and then we were all in doing the shoot and it just went so smoothly and it just went so well. Um, But that film's particularly close to my heart because, um, I mean, the plot of the film is that um, uh, three African-American siblings uh, back in the 70s in the American South are sort of on the run from the police. One of them's escaped from prison. And they hide out in their old uh, family ranch, uh, which has been abandoned for years. And as night falls, they hear a bit of a commotion in the nearby woods and uh, they go out to the woods and there's a whole KKK clan um, Mm. doing sort of a cross burning and they all get captured um, and uh, tortured and all sorts of nasty things. But um, essentially it turns into a sort of um, crazy revenge movie. Uh, very sort of just exploitation inspired, um, just full of sort of gore and nastiness. Um, And uh, I'd had this idea for a few years and just nobody, I mean, it's a hard sell because of the KKK um, and the sort of like um, the black characters getting their revenge and it being so, you know, it's kind of in a way it's tackling sort of like issues of racism in, a, in such a sort of like extreme and aggressive um way you know with so much sort of like gore and uh just outrageousness so nobody everyone sort of loved the idea but everyone was also like we're never going to fund this movie because like why would we put our money behind this um you know like something like werewolves or vampires is a much safer bet than kkk cannibals you know um and and black exploitation but um you know i'm i was able to get some um producers involved who just found some private investment and they were kind of happy for me to basically just go ahead and make whatever i wanted and so i saw this opportunity to make this like dream project a reality um and uh went off we went and shot death ranch and then completely to my surprise um the film, you know, it's in Walmart. Um, it got a, a really good release. It got um, picked up by a whole bunch of distributors. It's coming out in the UK uh, in October. Um, and it's kind of, to be honest, changed my view of the type of, um, like, the level of industry that I'm working at. You know, I, I was here thinking that you could only get a film out there and have it be successful if you listen to what the uh investors are saying is going to sell you know if they're saying right the supermarkets want you know werewolves so let's get like a cgi stock image of a werewolf and plonk it on the cover and let's have a title that completely rips off some other film um Mm. and let's see you know and and that's how we're going to make our money um i didn't think that you could sort of get together a dvd cover that um you know, is a complete throwback to black exploitation and the sort of movies that I'm inspired by, you know, Coffee and Foxy Brown and all that sort of stuff. Um, 
and just chuck that out there with with a film about you know the KKK being um, having revenge taken upon them and stuff. Uh, I didn't think that was possible, and yet here we are this year watching it um, out on the shelves in Walmart and stuff like that. I just didn't realise that uh, that could be done. So mm-hmm. uh, so for that reason, that film is a favorite. I mean, I like the film anyway, but it's a favorite of mine because of that reason. It's maybe the only film that, I mean, as I got to the end of editing the film, I just felt kind of, um, I felt like emotional, you know, like I'm, I never, I'm not, I'm not a filmmaker who like rewards themselves. I don't get to the end of the film and say to myself, well done. You know, that was a lot of work you just did over the last 10 months. Good job. Like I'm not that sort of person. I always get to the end and I'm kind of like, you know, forget this stupid movie, you know, I, I did it, you know, I made mistakes, let's get it out on DVD and get rid of it and just focus on the next one. You know, I'm not one for looking back. But when I got to the end of Death Ranch, I felt just kind of emotional, like that I'd, that I, that this idea that I didn't think I could ever make happen, you know, I made happen. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think, I think, um, you know, for aspiring filmmakers, certainly when I was um, a few years younger, uh you kind of look at movies and you and filmmakers and you think you know people out there might be thinking oh charlie can just come up with an idea you know like haunted house and he can just go and make whatever the hell he wants but um as the money has got um as the budgets have got higher you're more and more restricted uh in terms of what you can actually put out there and the people i mean it's it's kind of it's it's ridiculous in a way because the people with the small amount of money that I have who are basically going to the straight to DVD market, we have to make, we have to make the most generic content because if it's going to be purchased by, you know, uh, people who are going out to buy these films, um, it has to be, it has to kind of be like a ripoff, you know, it has to have the element of, um, uh you know like if uh, you know like my first uh, my first horror film escape from cannibal farm you know i made my guy in that look a bit like leatherface or you know look quite a lot like leatherface actually um and uh that was how they were able to sell it because they're tying it in with this whole texas chainsaw thing but you know if you if you're talking about totally original horror movie ideas um they, that's not that's not what the straight to D, DVD market is for. Um, it, they want generic things, um, and then then you're extremely limited, you know, because uh, you get stuck just making, you know, some crappy vampire film, some crappy werewolf film. When really, what you want to do is, you know, I, I mean, I'm sat here right now with all these ideas for totally original horror movies kind of like death ranch you know mm. that no horror fans or well, i hope horror fans would really enjoy like me speaking as a horror fan i just know that i'd love to see you know stuff like more cosmic horror and i mean you know sometimes i get lucky like with my um aquatic horror of the submarine going down and finding cthulhu you know that's that's my own concept i mean i was in a lucky position kind of like with death ranch where um a company came to me and and uh they were happy to go with what is my own original idea but you know if i had it my way i would only ever make my own original ideas um and i'd want to be far more experimental like less 
if we're going to do some crap straight to DVD movie that people have a low expectation for, let's at least make it as original as possible. Let's make it something that they've not seen before, you know? Right. No, totally. I mean, 100% with that, you know, and I understand like the stipulations you have to have if you're trying to throw it out to the DVD market people, you know, like the Walmart buyers and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, uh, that that little rant aside, uh, Death Ranch was is a real favorite of mine of my own films. Um, English Haunting that I mentioned, um, I just think uh, that's I guess that's the sort of horror film. That's the sort of niche in the horror genre that I'd like to sort of carve for myself. This sort of like seventies inspired, um, very atmospheric British style of horror filmmaking because. You know, I, I am British, and uh, when I started making horror movies, my first thought was, you know, I'm inspired by American movies. I'm inspired by Texas Chainsaw and, and Devil's Rejects and stuff like that. So with a film like Cannibal Farm, I was really trying to make it feel um, sort of as American as possible. I mean, it's set in Britain, but I'm trying to make it look like an American movie, Um and then with my second feature, The House of Violent Desire, I'm trying to make it look, you know, as Italian as I possibly can with all sort of Mario Bava inspired lighting and colours. Um, with An English Haunting, I sort of realised, you know, I'm in, I'm in Britain and I'm a British filmmaker and there's all these incredible locations around me that they don't look Italian, they don't look American, they just look very distinctively British. And in fact... You know, my films, as I watch my DVDs come out in Japan and uh, Germany and Australia and stuff like that, um, you realize that this is this is my special sort of export is the Britishness of the films. Um, and uh, that was something I really leaned into with um, An English Haunting and uh, that type of sort of bleak, slow burn, atmospheric horror uh, ghost story that I that I did with that film um I think uh I sort of found a uh, sort of a little bit I found sort of what I would like my voice to be in the future really with um horror movies um so that one um and then the other one I guess is Werewolf in England just because uh it's just so fun and and sort of silly you know it's so camp and silly it completely leans into my um my personal tastes for films that are just sort of totally over the top and theatrical. Um, when when they asked me to do a wearable film set in the Victorian period, um, I'm pretty sure they said not to make it a comedy or not to have any, I mean, horror comedy is always a tough sell. Um, mm -hmm. I think I was instructed not to have any comedy or gore. Um, and then I went and made like the most sort of splattery, um, blood spraying everywhere, stupid, silly comedy werewolf film. Um, so I, I, just to sit down and watch that one's like that one, I still find quite entertaining, you know, like I, I like that film. Yeah. So do I, like when I reviewed it and stuff, I was like, Oh, this is fun. It's a nice little breath of fresh air, you know, like I said, with the new werewolf film and, you know, being a hard comedy on top of a werewolf film was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what I know you're working on these three films now. You said you're editing and stuff. Uh, you have any other like future movies you can talk about that will be coming out like in the future? <laughs> uh, 
Um, well, mostly at the moment, I'm just sort of bogged down with with these three um, because, you know, it's so much work to get these three, just to get these three turned around. That's taken me into next year, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, my I can't talk about anything because my plans, they always change. You know, they can change so dramatically. But I know that what I'm trying to focus on at the moment is kind of what I was saying there about um, an English haunting is... Um, I'm I'm sort of, you know, I'm very lucky that uh, I've got companies coming over to me and saying, you know, we'd like you to make this for us or make that for us. You know, I'm definitely really lucky in that respect. But I, I would like to sort of, um, I'm I'm looking into trying to uh, find ways of doing things that are more just uniquely what I would like as a horror fan to put on screen instead of, you know, appeasing what the distributors are asking me for. I'd like to just go ahead and make something that as a horror fan, I've never seen before um, and sort of push boundaries, make things really extreme. You know, I, I kind of sort of censor myself when I make these films, because although I'm actually allowed pretty much 100% creative freedom. You know, like I said, they they will ask me for werewolves in a castle, but aside from that, I can do whatever I want um, with with that brief. You know, so I've got pretty much 100% creative freedom, but still I censor myself in terms of the level of violence and sex and nastiness and shock value. Um, mm. I censor myself because I know that it's just not going to be commercial and and I'm going to get in trouble if I put something outrageous in there um but I've been working for years on some like really really dark horror stories kind of inspired by sort of more um Lovecraftian um style horror um and I think it's time I'm hoping it's time where I can finally actually put those on screen um and uh just put out some like totally original things, you know, where you don't go, Oh, there's the vampires. Uh, there's the, there's the cheap straight to DVD vampire movie, uh, where you look at it. And, uh, although it's going to be, uh, inevitably on a budget still, um, it might, you might not be able to categorize it. You might not say, Oh, this is a haunted house film. This is a werewolf film. Uh, it could just be something that like, you know, you're not expecting and that should hopefully capture the attention of horror fans. Um, one thing I've been wanting to do for ages is uh, like a fish man or a fish monster invasion movie, because Mm. I love fish monsters and I love, um, I love horror, the sort of set, at sea or sort of uh in a harbor town um i love this is this all comes from sort of my my love with lovecraft stuff but Mm -hmm. you know like a dream a dream project for me to make in the future if i had like a hollywood level budget would be shadow over innsmouth um lovecraft adaptation um Mm. that would be like my dream you know because i just love uh i love that and and uh i look at i look around um england and try and look for like what are the good horror locations that I've not um, that I've not sort of explored that are right here on my doorstep, you know, um, that I need to put on film, you know, that inspire me to get my camera out and create some really moody atmospheric horror. Um, and it's really like you know some of the little harbour towns down um, on the south coast of Cornwall. Uh, with all their sort of cobbled streets and narrow um, narrow roads and things like that, 
these creepy little villages. They're just they literally they come out of a horror movie, you know. And uh, location plays a huge role in um, what films I'm actually able to go ahead and make. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for example, with English Haunting, um, I was working on a corporate job, um, just a corporate video shoot, and uh, I come along to this huge country manor, um, which is completely privately owned by this one family. It's been in the family for a thousand years. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this huge mansion house, and then I'm walking around the grounds. There's this big church. There's a graveyard. There's even like this sort of shattered glass greenhouse, which has all been overgrown with vines and stuff. And I just thought there and then, this is literally this needs to be in a horror movie. This is like a haunted house, mm-hmm. horror movie material. Um, so I made friends with the owners on that corporate shoot, and a couple of years later. Um, I, I wrote an English haunting specifically to go and film there. Um, and that's kind of how it sometimes works. You know, location can inspire me to, um, come up with a certain idea, you know? Mm-hmm. No, that, that's killer. Yeah. Location definitely matters for, you know, a good horror movie. Yeah. So sort of more, more British horror with a sort of Lovecraft influence that is sort of me being able to just explore, this is the thing with, you know, I've made a whole bunch of feature films by now, um, uh, all at this sort of indie level. And the most important thing with all of them for me is not for them to be necessarily as good as they can possibly be or flawless because they cannot be flawless because of the budgets. In mm. fact, they're always going to be actually incredibly flawed you know, because of their budget limitations. But something I can do is I I have the freedom to experiment. So with each film, I kind of challenge myself and experiment uh, in different ways, which I think is why each one tends to be like of a radically different subgenre. You know, like my film Vampire Virus is um, set in modern times and is full of like neon lighting and lots of colors and lots of like sort of big synth music. And that's Mm. completely different to the film that I did before, which was English haunting, which is subtle muted colors, big wide angles, a very sort of still camera and, uh, not cutting too fast. Um, so I, and I love to just play with all the different styles, you know, that, that film was completely radically different to, um, you know, my film Winter Skin, which was set, you know, in a log cabin um, out in the snow, which has got sort of like a Italian Western sort of uh, inspiration in the cinematography and stuff. You know, films like uh, The Great Silence and films like that were my main inspiration. Um, so I'm always trying to sort of do something new and challenge myself, basically. And that's like the most important thing. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Always challenge yourself to, you know, progress in your art, you know, what you're doing and stuff. Yeah, I mean, when somebody finally gives me a budget that is like of a decent size where I'm not in a tiny crew, um, you know, then I'll stop experimenting and I'll, I'll, I'll stick to what I feel like I've learned over the years and what I can do best so I can deliver the best possible movie. Um, but at the moment, I'm just having fun. You know, like uh, I have a in my head, I have a rule that by the time I'm 30, I would love to be able to be a bit more making films in a bit more of what feels like, I guess, like a more legitimate way where 
I'm just the director. Well, I'm hopefully the writer. You know, I'm just like the writer director, and here I am, and I've got a crew at my disposal, and they're going to do things really professionally, so that it's not, you know, me trying to, uh, you know, at the last minute do something, you know, wallpaper a set, paint a bit of scenery, um, you know, have to stand in and do all the jobs. Um, you know, I'm hoping that by the time I'm 30, I can put behind me the sort of DIY filmmaking thing. I hope I will grow out of that. Um, but I've got about, I've got still more than two years till I get to there. So I just have said to myself, just have fun, you know, until you get to that age, just have fun. Mm-hmm. You're doing a killer job, man. Like uh, I love your work and stuff and I like your attitude, uh, you know, this, you know, you're doing, you're on your way to like great things. You've already done some killer things already. So like, and you're super young too, which is crazy. Like, do all the stuff that you've already done and that you're doing, you know, it's pretty damn cool. Thank you. <laughs> Where can um, listeners check out your films? I know uh, a couple of them are streaming on Tubi if they have Tubi, but there's some other spots they can check your stuff out at. Yeah. I mean, the best thing to do, I think is just go on to Amazon and just type in Charlie Steeds. Um, because basically you'll find, you'll basically find anything that's out in whatever country you're in. Um, just type in Charlie Steeds and all my films will come up. Um, I don't know which specific places each specific film is in. I mean, in America, um, I'm pretty sure all of the films are out on DVD. Um, but yeah, um, and I don't, to be honest, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know what Tubi is. You know, I always have people writing to me saying they watch my film on Tubi. Um, <laughs> but I'm not sure entirely what it even is. We, I don't think we have it in the UK. Um, oh. But um, but I'm a, I'm old school. I love physical media. I love having the DVD. I've got a gigantic DVD library in my flat um, of about two thousand movies, probably. Um, so um, yeah, if you want to get the DVDs, go on Amazon or eBay if you're cheap. Type in Charlie Steeds, um, and uh, yeah, should come up. Excellent. Well, this has been a great talk, Charlie, man. I really appreciate you being on my podcast. This was really cool. And I think this information that you talked about here, like with film and everything, so be super inspirational to a lot of like, you know, up and coming filmmakers or people having started yet, you know, I think it's great. So I hope so. I mean, if, if my films fail to be entertaining just for horror fans, then if you're an aspiring filmmaker, you can at least look at my films and pick them apart and see, you know, how you could sort of, how easy it is to be able to do the level that I'm doing right now. And like I say, you can make a full-time career um, doing it. So um, if I, if I, you know, if I was back at film school and someone had just handed me my 10 features that I've done now to sort of look at and analyze, I would have seen, you know, I would have learned a lot basically because I have learned so much over the past sort of five years. Um, so if nothing else, they could be useful for that. <laughs> well, this was great, Charlie. And um, I hope you have a good rest of your night over there. I know you said it's nighttime where you're at, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, no, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, you take it easy and it was great talking with you. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Yes. Take care.